start it again. There we are. All right, so Revelation 19. As uh, we've come to this point, we are now at this glorious passage concerning uh, the coming of the Lord. And um, like I said, we're only going to read part of this tonight because I'm not really going to go into these verses. Um, and I'll tell you more about that next week. We will talk about the distinction between the rapture and the second coming. We're going to talk about uh, some of the other things uh, that are there. But tonight, our, our focus is going to be on a lot of other passages, and that's what's on the paper that I gave you. That's why it's um, six pages instead of just four. Um, because there's a lot of scripture that I want us to be familiar with. I'm not going to teach through all of those. We're going to read through them, comment as we go. Um, they are there as a background, support, um, insight, uh, another aspect. However you want to see them, they're, they're talking about the coming of the Lord, and they're talking about this event, but they're sh sharing different things that are not shared here. Now, if we were telling God how to arrange his Bible, we would have all of that all gathered together in the right place, properly outlined. How, how many? Yeah. And um, everything would have been here, all the questions answered, uh, every detail put in. We weren't in charge of that. And besides, uh, the passages that we're going to be looking at uh, cover um, well over a thousand years of different prophets seeing things or receiving things from God. So, and we could actually go all the way back to the fall because God announced that at the fall and he will bruise his head and so uh, crush his head. So that is... Um, that is what we see, but this passage is kind of brief, and it's glorious, but it's like, I want more. I want, I want more detail. I want 4K, 8K. I want, uh, you know, everything done, big cinema, whatever. Um, all God gives us is actually... 11 verses and it's like god that's not enough we talked we talked more about destruction of the earth than than that so anyway let's read this passage revelation 19 i'm going to start in verse 11 then i saw heaven opened and i could i could stop and preach there for an hour okay then i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Verse 14, In the armies of heaven, Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. 
and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. What a picture that's going to be. And so this, this glorious appearance of the Lord, everything in the book of Revelation has led up to this. And everything after this is, is like an epilogue. It's, it's, okay, this is what happens afterwards. This is, this is like the, the fulcrum. This is the, the focus point. This is everything has led up to this and everything that follows are just details. Yeah, I know. New heaven, new earth. Uh, glorious, right? Beyond, beyond measure. But there could be no new heaven and new earth if there was not what? A second coming of the Lord. His glorious victory over all evil, over everything that has affected man for, for millennia since the fall. All of the evil uh, that has been done. So he is here uh, to make this demonstration. Uh, this manifestation of the Son of God in glory is, is an absolute necessity for the church. Many church doctrines include statements concerning the second coming of the Lord. Some of them, they need to change. But anyway... But they have, they have it in their doctrine. But they don't teach it. It's there. But no one ever says anything about it. No one talks about it. No one helps the saints understand. Uh, if, if you have any theology that does not include the second coming of the Lord, your theology is incomplete. This is, this is everything. This is God's purpose. Why did he redeem us? Why did he save us to bring us to be with him? And yeah, I know. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. But sin is still in the world. Evil is still in this world. I think we can all know that right the powers of darkness are still here satan is still roaming uh all those things. this is going to end all of that this is it god is done with that and so this is absolute and when it comes to the, to hope the bible tells us that this is our great hope this is the great hope. I, we have all kinds of hope. Every one of us has things that we hope for. There's, there's things that we're hoping for in the Lord. There's things we're hoping for with our family. Uh, there's things that we just hope for in the natural realm. But the great hope is the coming of the Lord. This is it. And so without teaching on this, without churches communicating this to their congregations, that hope is shaken. That hope is not there, actually, and other hopes become futile. Because my hope that God is going to get me through a trial, that I'm going to get through this next situation that's in my life, or this thing that's coming against me, or my family, 
my hope that God is going to prevail in that? <laughs> it's based on the promise of this. Because he's going to do this. And that is the great hope, and it inspires every other hope that I have in my life. So this is an absolute essential for the church, for the believers, that someone teaches this. And that's why, as I've said this numerous times before, that's why Paul taught it even to the newest believers. The Thessalonian church was less than six months old, yet in 1 Thessalonians, he's correcting something that they've forgotten, or something that has taught them something wrong. And he comes back, he says, Now, remember, I, I told you this. I don't want anyone to be ignorant. But the coming of the Lord, and then he goes through the whole thing. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. So he goes through all of that. He tells the Corinthians that. Um, Second Thessalonians, he comes back and he answers more questions about the coming of the Lord. These are new believers. Some people say, well, we shouldn't teach that to, to new believers. It just gets them confused. No, it gets them right. And if they have questions, teach it again. Write a second book, which is what Paul did. And maybe a third. We don't know. So um, all of this is, is absolutely essential. So Look at Revelation 19. Look at verse 11, just that first opening phrase, and I'm not going to expand a lot on this right now. But then I saw heaven opened. That's the second time in the book of Revelation that, that phrase is found. First time it's found is in chapter 4 and verse 1. And John says, and, and I saw heaven opened. And, and, and I saw a throne. And ultimately he's a lamb, right? And all those things and in the hand of the lamb was a scroll and everything unfolded from there. But I picked this up actually from John MacArthur and several people quoted him in, in their commentaries. And he made the statement, he says, the first time God opened heaven was to allow John in. The second time he opened heaven was to allow Christ out. And so it is opened for Jesus Christ, the exalted lamb, to come out from heaven and into the earth and to complete what he has purposed to do. Yeah. Salvation was about God forgiving our sin and, and making us one with him and restoring us and bringing us joy and peace and hope and changing us on the inside. But all of that looked forward to this day when there would be no evil. Romans 8, Paul talks about that. He says we're, we're saved, but our salvation is still by hope because physically... We've not been fully changed. Inwardly, I'm changed. But my body is still subject to aging. And I'll stop there. <laughs> Our bodies are still subject to uh, the pressures of the things of this world. Our bodies are still subject to the presence of sin. But that is going to be gone. Glory to God. 
So this is our great hope. Now, what we see is that, and I, I didn't give you anywhere close to all of the passages that talk about what's going to happen or things that are tied together with or things that lead up to this event called the second coming of the Lord. But we're going to look at a bunch of them. And this is uh, it is unparalleled in Scripture as to the amount of material that is here. There are an incredible number of passages that talk about the Messiah, about his coming. They don't come close to the number of passages that talk about this event, his second coming. His first coming, thank God, because by his first coming we are saved. And his first coming he brought the glory of heaven to us. Now he's going to bring the glory of heaven to reign over the earth. And so this is just an incredible passage, and it is backed up, uh, as I said, by so much scripture, of which we're going to look at a handful. Uh, Like I said, there's 11 verses from verse 11 to verse 21. There's 11 verses here that talk about this event in the book of Revelation. But there's so much more. There's things. It's like you read through this and say, "Yeah, but where is where 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 is that thing?" People have said that this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and that's going to happen, and this is going to happen. So where is all of that? It just actually in just a few verses, he comes down, he opens his mouth, everybody's dead. It's over. Yep. Take the beast and the prophet, throw him in the lake of fire, bind Satan. Set up your throne, establish a millennium. It's like, wow, that's that was over quick. <laughs> Did you ever watch a movie and you're really expecting a great ending and all of a sudden the ending is like, <laughs> it's just all condensed into 10 seconds. I, I watched three hours of this movie to see a 15-second ending? No. I want big battles and all kinds of stuff, yeah. Well, it's there. You just have to look elsewhere. Because God didn't want to repeat everything right here. We're going to see some passages that's like, huh, it's kind of like what the other prophet said. Well, yeah, the prophets can say the same thing. But then sometimes the prophet says something that no other prophet has said. And so... We look at all of this material. So let's go to page two. Now, there's some, some scriptures I, I gave you the references to, but I didn't put them in here. Um, some of the references I had we'll talk about later because they really have more to do with the millennium than they have to do with the second coming. And in fact, in some of the passages we're going to read, the second coming and the millennium are kind of crunched together uh, and we'll see that as we go now again differences we'll get more detail on this and like I said it's on that flash drive I have but the church age ends with the rapture 
the church age ends with the rapture. That is God removing the believers, whether they are dead or alive. Now, I know, when a believer dies, their spirit soul go to be the presence of the Lord, but their body doesn't. Their body stays in the grave. But at the rapture, we're going to get a new body. Right? And so the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be changed. And we will be caught up together. That's the Greek word for pogmas means snatched out, taken out, grabbed, yanked out, whatever you want to put in there. Or the Latin word rapere, from which we get rapturo or rapture. Well, well, well the rapture is not the Bible. Yes, it is. It's just a Greek word, not a Latin word. All right, get over that. And, um, and so that takes place. And where is, where is the church from that time on? Where is the church? In heaven. So uh, here's, here's something. From Revelation 4, and then it goes through all of the seals and the trumpets and the vials and all those things that take place. From Revelation 4 all the way to Revelation 19, the church is not mentioned because we're in heaven, and the subject is what's going on on the earth. The only way that the believers are mentioned, the church is mentioned, is it talks about the 24 elders, and that is a representative of all of the church in heaven. Church is there. The saints that are mostly spoken of during the time of the tribulation, Revelation 4 through 18, the saints are spoken of are tribulation saints. They're the people who either are alive or have died during the time of the tribulation. And so that's the saints that are consistently spoken of during that period of time. It's not that God ignores us. <laughs> We're his bride. And like I shared in the last couple of lessons, where's the bride? He's away with the bridegroom. Now, because Jesus is God, and he can be more than one place, he can be with his bridegroom, and he can be visiting destruction on the earth. All right? he, he's withholding everything in the universe, and he's actively pursuing believers. So Jesus is everywhere because he's God. And so, yeah. So he's with us. But he's also there in heaven, ruling and releasing the seals and doing all those kinds of things. It's not like uh, he says to the bride, excuse me, i got to go release another seal. You know, i got to go you know, sound a trumpet or whatever. No, it's, he's with the bride, but he's also ruling over so many of the things that take place during the revelation, or yeah, during the tribulation because a lot of those things are enacted by the Lamb. Okay, so, so where's the church? In heaven. In heaven, with the Lord. But when the church is taken out, it begins, uh, I like the way Pastor Bob refers to it, it's like God uh, starts the clock again. You know, like in a chess match, you've, you stop your, when you're, you make a play, all right, you're done with your play, you stop your clock, and it's the other person's turn. And they're on the clock. Well, during 
what we know of as the church age, the Jewish believers, the, the, the revelation of God to the Jews is kind of off the clock. But when the rapture takes place, their clock starts again. God had paused it, now it's Jewish time, and there's seven years of Jewish time left, and that's what the seven years of tribulation is. As it plays out Jewish time, we, the church, observe, wonder. We're in absolute awe of what God is doing in the earth, even as we watch from heaven. And John was many times just overwhelmed with wonder and awe as he saw the things that were being done on the earth, some of it devastating, some of it incredibly glorious, what God was doing. But in the middle of that seven years comes the time when the Antichrist takes his place, in a sense, on the throne sets himself as God in the temple in Jerusalem, the abomination of desolations. He uh, profanes everything and declares that he alone is to be worshipped. Uh, that is enforced by the beast and the false prophet. And so he uses them. Uh, the harlot of Babylon has been involved in some of that. Through his empire called Babylon, he rules all things on the earth, all the commerce, all the governments, there's ten kings, but the kings do what he wants them to do. And so all of that was taking place during the time of the tribulation. Now we come down to the end of that. In chapter 18, uh, God did away with Babylon and the entire Antichrist system. So all of his world system has collapsed. It's all done. So all that's left are these armies that the Antichrist has amassed from various parts of the world, bringing them to Jerusalem, where he's going to have them take on God. Yeah. Think that through, all right? Just, just think that through, right? And so he's... he's starting a war that he can't finish. That sounds familiar right now. But uh, he, he thinks he can do something that he's totally incapable of doing. And it's not going to take God fighting with all his angels and all of the saints and all of us wrestling and fighting and killing. and all. It's not going to take any of that. Jesus is going to come down and speak a word and it's all gone. It's done. Over. Bang. Done. All right? So... That's what's going to take place. But from parts of the earth, different nations, different groups of people have gathered themselves against the Lord and against his Christ. And that's really what you read in Psalm 2. Um, I took that reference out, but I'm, I'm wanting to go back and read that. So let's go back to, Revela or to Psalm, Psalm 2. Though some of this applies to um, even the church age um, as Peter used it in Acts chapter 4 using this the, the, the principle behind what he's saying here 
but Psalm 2. Um, and this is, this is during this, this age. It's also specifically during the tribulation. All right, so Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Christ saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We're going we're gonna to take over. Well, Lucifer actually must have a very bad memory. And I, I don't, I'm not sure he can read. Because he tried that once, and it failed. And that story is told twice. Ezekiel 24 or 28, Isaiah 14, tell the story. Jesus mentions it. We can read more about it in a couple other places in the New Testament, just little statements about Lucifer being defeated. And he's tried this before, but he's got, he's got all these people hepped up thinking, hey, we can, we can take this. Verse 4. And the one who sits in heaven wrings his hands, calls a council. What are we going to do? They don't like me. He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Are you that, pardon the phrase, are you that stupid? Yeah, and he, yeah, I am. Yeah. So, now, we all remember Acts 4. Peter used this in reference to the people who opposed Jesus and put him on the cross. He makes reference in this to those who are trying to stop the ministry of the church and the spread of the gospel. So, the principle applies to many things. But the reality of this passage is about the coming of the Lord. And about all these nations who have waged their personal wars against God. And so he says, um, he holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, as for me, I'm not concerned. I set my king on Zion, my holy hill. My king already rules. It's too late. I have set my king. I'll tell of the decree, verse 7, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. God called him his son. Now, he was the son. But in this passage, what it's saying is that God, in Jesus' resurrected um, reality, God placed him as his son over all things. Yes, he already was, but now he's the God-man. <coughs> Are you with me? Now he's the God-man. As eternal God, he's always been over everything. But now as the God-man, when Jesus ascended, God placed him in this position over all things. And so as you are my son, I've gotten you ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And I know we use this as we believe that God has given us. No, he gave them to Jesus. The nations, the peoples, all of the cultures, all of the scattered tribes and tongues throughout the earth have not been given to us, the church. They've been given to Jesus. 
he is the son that is being spoken of here. And he said, you will break them with a rod of iron. Okay, now that's a reference to the millennium. So what I say, so this, is, this both blends together millennium, tribulation, second coming, uh, the reality of Jesus' resurrection and ascension, all of that blended together. And so then the final part of this, the final three verses, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. For us, the church, for us believers, is God's wrath quickly kindled? No, this is against those who are declaring themselves against him. Read the context. Don't take a passage away and say, well, God's wrath is quickly kindled. You know, if you do one thing wrong, that's not what this passage is about. It's about those who have set themselves in, in opposition to God. All right, now let's go to our paper. Uh, Psalm 110. And some of these passages are very familiar, and you'll find phrases in here that are very familiar to you. But they all have significance in referring to something that's going to take place at the second coming or lead up to it or follow it. All right? So Psalm 110. This is the entire psalm. The Lord says to my Lord... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. All right, so Peter makes reference to this as a statement of God to Jesus. So does Paul. So that God is saying this to Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord. That is, God said to Jesus. Can I put it that way? God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand. Till I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, now notice the phrase, until I make. In other words, they're not yet. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, Jesus is ruling in heaven. Isn't everything under him? Isn't everything under his feet? Yes, but he, they have not been made his footstool. He has not yet conquered all nations, or everyone would be a believer. He is in authority. He could exercise that authority, but he doesn't. Instead, he deals with us in grace and mercy, waiting for us to repent. Verse 2, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, his, his rule. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves free uh, on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning the dew of your youth will be yours. In other words, there's going to be a day when all people are going to come to him to worship him and receive from him. And the rebellion will be gone. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus' statement, God's, God the Father's statement to Jesus. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. When is that? Second coming. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. Oh, this isn't happy. I don't want to sing this song. Yeah, we can. Why? Because he's going to do it. Filling them with corpses. He will shatter 
chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. This is a reference to the fact that he will have his own sustenance. He will have his own place of strength. Jesus will not wear out. He won't get weak. This will all be done. He will rule over all the nations. Go to Daniel 2. Daniel 2. Now, this is Daniel helping Nebuchadnezzar understand this vision of this man with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of clay mixed with iron. All right? So this is that man that he has seen. And in the, in the story of this, I'm only going to come down to this part of it, verse 43. And you saw the iron mixed with soft clay. That was the feet. Why? Because that's Antichrist's kingdom. The gold was um, the Greek Babylon. Babylon. The gold was Babylon. The silver was Greece. The uh, brass was Persia. Brass was the Greeks, and the silver was Persian. Yeah, all right. So, anyway, one was there. But this all comes down to the Romans, but yeah, there's going to be these empires, and they're going to rule, and they're going to be over these things, but ultimately, the issue is what's going to happen with the feet? And the feet are Antichrist's kingdom. And his kingdom, powerful powerful but it could be easily shattered God did it we read it the last couple weeks <laughs> Exodus or uh, uh, Revelation 18 he shattered all of the kingdom and so uh, verse 44 and in the days of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Now, verse 44 is not just a reference to the millennium. It's to the kingdom of God coming to the earth. This is God's kingdom being established on the earth. Yes, he's going to set up then a millennial kingdom. But notice that when he comes, there's a battle that's taking place. A kingdom that will not be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Verse 45, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. Stream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. In other words, this will happen. God will do this. God will bring all of these kingdoms. And so why are the kingdoms of the world coming to Jerusalem, coming to Israel, Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo? Why are they all coming there? They think they're coming to overcome God. No. God is drawing them so he can destroy them. That's the whole thing. It's God's fishing expedition, all right? He's drawing like with a net. He's drawing all the kingdoms of the east, all the kingdoms of the north, the kingdoms from the west. He's drawing peoples from all over. You oppose me, 
come on. Come to Megiddo, and we'll talk about it. And, um, yeah, Jesus opens his mouth. That's the end of it. So it is God drawing all these kingdoms so that he can destroy them. The purpose isn't just for God to do it silently and somehow, well, I don't know, that, they, they used to be a kingdom, they used to be a nation, they used to be a people, but I don't know, they're gone. No, God wants everyone to know he did this and that he is the one who triumphs over all these forces. Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. God is waking them up. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of the eye. God has, God has sent Jesus to destroy those who have come against him. I know. For centuries, for millennia, people have come against God's people. Be they the church, but we're in the presence of God at this point. When we come to the battle of Armageddon, we're already with the Lord. So the saints he's speaking of here are his people, the Jews, the nation of Israel. I will shake my hand over them. The one who touches you touches me. Verse 9, Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who served them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Now some of this, some of this was seen in God delivering his people from Babylon. But when God brought his people out of Babylon, sin was not done away with. Evil was not done away with. There were other kingdoms that even after they came out of Babylon, yeah, God rescued them out and brought them in, but then other kingdoms came and conquered them, oppressed them. So there's some of that that can apply to God delivering his people from Babylon, but not fully. This is about God drawing them to Megiddo so that they can fight in the valley. Verse 10. Sing and rejoice, daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and they shall be my people. Now we're talking millennium. And they shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Verse 12. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord. For he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. God saying, shut up. All this noise of rebellion, all this noise of man's power and man's greatness and man's glory and all of his self-exaltation, stop it. God is going to show that there is no one who can stand before him. That's why he brings all these people before him so that he can defeat them all at once. Now, I don't have it in here, but I want you to go to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. 
Zechariah has a lot to say about issues concerning the second coming and the end of time. If you have a Bible, it's toward the end of the Old Testament. If you got a device, just push the buttons. Again, I'm convinced they need to put a little sound on there. Are you tearing pages open that you haven't read before? So you go to a passage that says, he hasn't read this. This is, this is their first time to read this passage. Anyway, okay. Chapter 12, verse 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. So this is not about the church. It's about who? Israel. It's about what's going to happen with Israel as we come to the end. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. In other words, what I'm going to do with Jerusalem is going to make people's heads swim. They will not be. It's like, what? How how did that happen? They're not going to be able to believe it. They will be staggering because of what God is doing to to his people. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the people, and all who lift it will surely hurt themselves. So people will think, yeah, Jerusalem, Israel, eh, they're just a tiny little place. Yeah, try to pick that up. Because if you try to pick it up, you will be hurt, not Israel. That's what he's saying. And all the nations of the earth will gather against it. All the nations gather. When is this? When is this going to happen? The end of the tribulation. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open. When I strike every horse or all the peoples with blindness, then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. In other words, they're going to they're gonna recognize, where did we get this strength? Where have we been given this strength to withstand all these people who have come against us? Verse 6, on that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of, of wood, like a flaming torch among the sheaves. And they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. So this is... This is things that are going to be taking place on the earth, even as the Lord is coming, there are battles taking place on the earth, and God is vindicating his people, giving them a supernatural strength to stand against those things until he shows up and puts an end to everything. Verse 7, And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. Verse 8, On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, Please for mercy, 
so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. God is going to overwhelm the people of Jerusalem who have been fighting through the strength that the Lord has given them, who have been resisting all of this armies that have come against them, all of this power that's tried to take them, destroy them. They've been doing all of this, drawing from their strength of the Lord of hosts, but now something new is going to happen to Israel. They're going to realize who their Messiah is because he's going to show up. So it's not just been the strength that God has given. Suddenly he's going to show up. And they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. And they're going to see that one. And it says, And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly. Verse 11, On that day in the, the morning in Jerusalem will be great as the morning at Hadad Rimon on the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn each family by itself, the families of the house of David, etc., etc., etc. Go down to verse 14. And all the families that are left each by itself and their wives by themselves, all of these people are going to mourn, every one of them. That's a, that's, that's a revival. <laughs> all of the people in every house, in every group, in every, every tribe that is there, all of them together will be mourning as they realize what they have lost. Go to Zechariah 14, just maybe in the next page. Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall be cut off from the city. When is this? This was in Babylon. This is when God took the people away. But God is going to bring them back. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. What Zechariah has seen in his vision is a condensing of these things, of all of Israel being taken away and plundered, and their people subjected to oppression, death even. But God is going to bring a day, that is the second coming. And so Zechariah sees these two things all condensed into one time. And he brings about this glorious deliverance. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day... His feet shall stand. So we're not talking about Babylon anymore because what's going to happen here never happened. Verse 4. On the day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. This is the second coming. And what's 
another thing. Now, this is not mentioned in Revelation 19, but it's going to take place. Then when Jesus comes down, he will come down to Mount Zion. And when he touches the ground, the earth will split from east to west. And what happens when that takes place also is that a great channel is made between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. And the water flows freely between them. And so God has done this glorious thing. Now, if you've been to Israel, uh, one of the things that, that Pastor Bob always did with us in our, in our group, and I did when I took a group, is you, you sit up on the Mount of Olives and you look over the city, and you're seeing this, this city. But between the Mount of Olives and the walls of Jerusalem, the Muslims have made a cemetery. And so they have buried tens of thousands of people in these graves because in their thinking, the Messiah, well, he can't. He's, he's God's anointed. He can't touch a dead body. He can't walk through a grave. He might touch a bone of a dead person. He'd be unclean. So these dead bodies are going to stop the Lord. But what's he do? He splits it open. <laughs> he splits it open so that there's the gate. And Jesus just walks from the Mount of Olives right to the beautiful gate. And um, he, is, he enters in through that so much for trying to stop the Messiah. Right? It won't work. It goes on, verse 6, And on that day there should be no light, cold or frost. Some of us are really happy about that. <laughs> and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but in evening time there shall be light. On that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea, and it shall continue in summer as in winter. So God is going to open up a fountain out of which will flow these waters to both of the seas. And the Lord will bring will be king over all. Now we're talking millennium. All right? So first was the second coming, and all of that that happened, it's not mentioned in Revelation 19, but it happens. And as he comes, as he touches down on the Mount of Olives, it is split and the water comes out, and all of these things go on. Um, then what takes place is what it follows in verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over them. 10. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. In other words, it's all going to be beautiful, flat fields, harvest fields, except, but Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site. Jerusalem will always be lifted up. All right? To the corner of the gate from the tower, etc. Verse 11, And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people that wage war against Jerusalem. Oh, here's some fun facts again. Things that we can make a song out of. The Lord will strike all the people that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their tongues will rot in their mouths. 
can see people from Hollywood lining up now to make the movie of that. And on that great day, and on that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. In other words, all these people are going to start grabbing for someone else to help them, but they're actually going to end up fighting each other. Even even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, garments in abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses and the mules and the camels and the donkeys and whatever beast may be in those camps. And then what follows is millennial language. All right, so here's this this glorious coming of the Lord. Do we read that in Revelation 19? No, but it happens. All right, so this is part of all these things that take place even as the Lord comes to establish his place upon the earth. Okay, so next week, we'll continue with Matthew 24. And uh, we'll look at some of the rest of these passages that deal with the Lord's coming. Matthew 24, of course, is Jesus' rendition of what's going to take place. All right? Not that any of the prophets were wrong. They're all right. But what's amazing is how these prophets saw things differently and yet the same they didn't have a prophet's conference and say okay here's here's what the doctrine is here's how we're going to line this out when you talk about this you always mention this Uh, when you speak about this you always talk about that Um, nope that's not the way it's going to be Uh, they are um, they are all speaking as God gives them revelation and it all fits together all right Okay, let me, uh, let me pray this out, and then um, I'm going to show you how to do the uh, podcast. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, uh, we thank you for uh, the fact that you reign. <laughs> you reign. And it, it's glorious. And it also encourages us. It strengthens us. It gives us hope. No matter what the darkness of the situation is, it is nothing compared to what you will overcome on your coming. And Father, we thank you that as we can look forward to that hope, we look forward to the hope of healing, of, of restoration, of your strength being made new and alive in us. We also thank you, Father God, that you are bringing people into your kingdom, using the words that we have, using opportunities, using things in the earth, your own supernatural ways to draw people to you that they might find salvation in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I need to turn the TV on, and you'll have to give me whatever comes on first. Something for I don't know how it was. It could be be Fox News, but we're not going to watch Fox News. Okay. So, what I want to do, what I told you, don't want to listen to that, yay, mute, okay, uh, hold on, I got to, I got to do my, do my thing here, mirror screen, Samsung,
and there we are. Okay. All right. Now, there's a couple ways to to get to the podcast. Um, one of them is by having the app. How many have a podcast app on your phone? All right. Podcasts are just teachings, and almost every every church, a lot of places have podcasts you can listen to um, different individuals. Um, so, podcast is an app that you search and you download to your phone. Once you've got that there, then you can search on the app. So I'll open this. Now, mine's already found two things that I listen to. One is about my Fuji camera. All right. The other is home church Bible class. All right. So this is what I've got. And so I can go to home church Bible class, and there's all the episodes uh, last week, week before, all right, all the way down to uh, the first one in January, right? That's all that we have on the podcast, and then, of course, all the ones that are going forward. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this one won't be on because Brandon is not in town, and I don't know how to upload these. I don't have the skill. Okay, so if, um, if you already have this in your podcast... Uh, you'll follow. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do this. All right. I'm not gonna remove from my library, but I'm just gonna unfollow. All right. So here you go to you go to home church and see the little plus sign up here at the top. I think this has got a laser on it, but I don't know how to use it. Here's a laser button. I don't know. There, there's a dot. Was there a dot? I don't know. Anyway, see the little plus sign at the top? Yeah. All right, you push on that. And you're now following home church Bible class. All right, yeah. So, thank you. So this is, um, this is the podcast. This is what you get when you go to the podcast. And so you can find all the lessons here. Now, there's also home church regular you can listen to our home church series whatever uh through uh the, through the podcast you can go back to different shows you can load shows on here anything that you follow will be here on your shows all right you can save the lessons so when you come to these you can save them so they'll show up all you have to do to save them is uh over here at the side you save them uh, nope, you have to have it open. Sorry. Um, save this by see the little check. So you check that, and it's saved to your device. And when you go to home church, the different classes will come up. It, it doesn't matter which podcast or app you have. It should be on there. It should be on there. This is this is Apple's podcast. So you have to do a search. Well, mine is Google, but I put in. Exactly the way you did. Home church Bible class? Yeah. Exactly. And it doesn't sign it? I don't know. I, I don't know how to find it through Google. I'm just, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing when I have an Android phone. Well, I got that. So, other than Apple, yeah, I know. Apple rules the world. But anyway, now, the thing is, you don't have to have the podcast app to listen. 
You can listen from the website, and the website will get you there. But all it's going to do is get you to this same page. So let me, let me show you how to do that. All right, so here we uh, go to our whatever um, website. This is the home church website. All right, so uh, you up here where the three lines are, you touch that, then you touch media, and then you scroll media down to home church Bible class. All right, so if you go to the website, again, um, from this page, right, media, scroll down, home church Bible class. Listen here, and you're back to the same place we were before. All right? So that's, that's how you do this. Uh, you, can, you can save these. You can download them so that they're on your computer if you want to. Um, I download them so that I can listen to them anytime. Uh, if you download, listen to me, if you download it to your device, then you can listen even if you don't have an internet connection. If you don't download it, you can't. So if you want to be able to listen to it like someplace else and you don't have an internet connection, download it to your device, but then you're going to have to have the room for it. But you can download it and then you can erase it after you've listened to it. When you're in your cave. So, okay, so that's pretty much it. Notes. The notes, I told you, I'm going to send you by email. I, you can get to them here. It's just that every time I've tried, I get lost. All right, so. Click on website, go back. Do what? There's Click where? Button that says uh, website under the play. Just above it. Under play. I don't know what you're talking see about. The, uh, see the play button? There should be a clickable right above it. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't see a player. You mean resume? Where it says resume? Uh, resume's too high. Here's the way I do it. Each one you go to this. Okay. And you go to that. And brings up the notes. All right. This and that. Didn't you see? Sure, you saw. You, you, you choose the lesson that you're listening to. All right, the lesson that you want to listen to. Then you, no, I'll do the next one. Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Okay. Then click on the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, and it brings up the notes. Oh, okay. All right, now from this you can open them in, a, in something else. You can send them to yourself, whatever you want to do. All right. But I'm going to send you the notes in PDF form every week. All right, so you'll get that. Tomorrow, there'll be an email with the notes in it, but it won't have the link to the podcast yet. You can go out and listen to the other podcast, but you can't listen to tonight's lesson till Brandon gets back. All right? Everybody okay? Everybody confused like me? No. Questions? Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, if you want to be dismissed, you can. Michael has a question, but yeah. All right. So I that's it. Just a question. Do you want to go for it? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Raiders of Lost Ark. What about it? They already stole that idea. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fire pot? <coughs> flaming pot. Is that the same as a crucible? Mentioned that uh, Zechariah 12 I suppose. But it's... it's <laughs> It just like where it says horses and all those things, the next battles that we fight are we fought with horses. But the horse was their military equipment of the day. John couldn't talk about tanks because they didn't have tanks in his day. Well, they probably won't then because all the fuel sources. Uh, uh, there's, not, there's not enough horses in, in anybody's army to, uh, to mount a battle. Like that. All right, so anyway, go ahead. Scepter and diadem. That was his home The difference? Between what? Scepter and diadem. Diadem is the crown. The scepter is the, uh, it's like a rod. It is. Is there a significance into the representations of one? The one who wears the crown has the scepter. Scepter is is about rulership. Is authority. Whereas the crown is about glory. He is to be worshipped. And that's the diadem. He's the crown. So the a sovereign king, queen, whatever. They are to be worshipped, so they, 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 they even call them your worship, your highness, right? So the crown is about their glory, whereas the scepter is about the authority. So there's two different kinds of crowns. There's diadem, which is about glory or honor or worth, and there is Stephanus, which is about victory. And so Stephanus is a crown of victory. And so when a king or someone won a battle or an Olympic athlete, they could receive a crown of Stephanus. Our rewards are going to be in Stephanus, the crown. I think I got my definitions mixed up between the diadem and the I thought a diadem was a physical representation of rulership, and you said that it's a scepter. The king always carries it some kind of It doesn't have to be a crown, but it could be. It doesn't have to be a, a rod, but it could be. It could be an orb. It could be a metal thing. Yeah, a ring. So I got those definitions mixed up. Apple the eye. The apple of the eye is that little part of your eye that's rings, like I'm looking at you right now, and there's a little white spot of light gleaming off your eye. That's the apple of the eye. Okay. It's the part of your eye that reflects something back. Thank you very much. Yes. I need to write some things up right now. I know Barbie knows your email address. I was going to do that way out. 
There's something I was supposed to tell Barbie. Uh, I don't remember what it was. I'll have to download a different podcast. There's got to be a way to get it off of Google. Well, just go to the go to go to home church. Yeah, I went there. You can do it from that way. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to do your podcast. Well, that don't sound right. Ever since I started saying You can't get on here. You can't get on. You can't get on that podcast. Oh, what's your name? Go to, go to the App Store. You get Google? Nah, I can't. Okay. Google, you go to the website. There's no website. So, yeah, you get there. And one of the other reasons is in, is in case we miss a class or, or have a teacher class. Or, <laughs> Even when I don't show up. Once in a while, Linda's usually sometimes inspires. All right, thank you, Janet. Yeah, I don't know. Also, also window updates. We'll sometimes shift things around. Yeah. Because I had to build that real recently. So that's so I told that yeah, yeah, so you can so you can open the literature and download it. The other thing is you have two computers. Trying on the computer. They were probably like they didn't have an issue with the website. We have been, and that's that's one of the reasons why we're trying to get away from it. They just been. Last Sunday, people couldn't watch. Sunday before, people couldn't watch. And there's there's something going on, and we don't know what it is. I got a technical technical question. All right. I'll listen to you. I think I read some The rapture says those that are dead in Christ don't perceive those who are alive in the rain. Right. Where do the Old Testament saints fall in that? Oh, we're going to talk about them. They, they, are, they are brought back to life. They're resurrected. Now, there's certain souls already in heaven. Jesus took them. But their bodies will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation. It's in Daniel chapter 12. So it's coming up. Yeah. Okay, so I always thought they always said the dead in Christ always included the old. No, the dead in Christ, it's the dead in Christ. Yeah, that's what that's I said. A, that's the significance of the church. But uh, Daniel chapter 12, that, that's the last chapter, Daniel. It does say resurrected at the end of the age. Yeah. So it's the end of the Jews. So twelve. Time some to everlasting life and some to shame. Uh, those who are wise So, anyway. That's when the Old Testament saints are given their bodies. So, 
Their spirit and soul is with God, but their bodies are with God. But that is a topic. And translate.